Hi guys and welcome to the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash as always and uh, we had quite a busy week for this week so I'm going to talk about three fights mainly. I may pop in with some thoughts on the other cards but mostly I'm going to stick to the main three fights, the headliners of each card which is um, Shakur Stevenson against Robson Contezal, the Friday night fight and I'm going to talk about obviously Joe Joyce and his you know unstoppable role through Joseph Parker and I'm going to talk about uh, Maxi Hughes and you know his continuing good vibe story in his win over Kid Galahad. Um, but yeah, let's start with the uh, the obvious one, the main you know sort of the main event of the weekend, the biggest start of the weekend, um, you know worldwide at least is uh, Shakur Stevenson. Um, so we'll start there. Obviously, the story of that fight began really on the Thursday um, when Shakur Stevenson missed weight and didn't even really bother trying to cut it, you know, to the fury of Conte Sal and, uh, you know, to the somewhat scorn of some worldwide. Some tried, you know, making excuses and Stevenson kind of apologised, but kind of, you know, also went, yeah, 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 you know, that happens, um, which it does, but, um, you know, it kind of does still kind of leave his sour taste when he doesn't even try because, um, Conceitao, you know, he had to make weight, he had to, and he apparently cut two pounds on the day. And that kind of shit trains you, and so he's not just going in with the size disadvantage, but the disadvantage of the fact that Stevenson just kind of didn't make that last effort. Um, so that, you know, it leaves us out taste. But at the end of the day, you know, it happens, and Conceitao agreed to fight, and he went for the two belts that Stevenson held, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. We can't dwell on it too much, but it is worth mentioning that um, they were already drawing each other before, so the, the, you know they may have happened without the weight cut. But both of them were clearly pretty pissed off in the fight itself, um, and that helped to make it um, oh different fight than you may have expected from you know certainly than I expected from a Stevens fight. I don't think anyone predicted it being what it is. Although um, it should be said. I did, you know, I did also spot some people complaining that it was boring, and uh, you know, I found that slightly odd because you know it wasn't a fight of the year contender. Um, I'm not sure Stevenson is ever going to be very often in fight of the year contenders, but um, but if this was so, you know, unacceptably unacceptably boring for you, then why are we even watching a Stevenson fight? Because sort of the expectation of a Stevenson fight would be to be much more boring, you know, at least, you know, I like some Stevenson fights, not all of them, but, you know, the, the expectation of a Stevenson fight is to be less action-y than this. You know, he was pushing the pace, he was pushing the action in this, not, you know, he wasn't hurling punches willy-nilly, but he was pushing the action, he was engaging, and other times he was going to say, you know, both went on the front foot at times, and neither of them are front foot fighters. Um, you know, certainly not pressure fighters, and both were trying to engage in the pocket, um, you know, taking the lead into the pocket, which um, Stevenson kind of does, but avoids engagement, and uh, Constantel will always want, almost always, historically, want his opponent to engage first so he can counter, and both of them were kind of playing against type here. So it was, a, you know, it was a more interesting and exciting fight than I had expectations of, and yeah, I thought it was fun. And I thought, I thought it said a few things about... Um, Shakur Stevenson, that uh, yeah, that are interesting to talk about. That uh, that will say something about his future, both good and bad. Um, yeah, I will say that uh, my opinion of his ceiling went up a little bit with this fight, even though this performance itself wasn't fantastic in its you know in and of itself, given just what he was doing in this fight, it was okay. But um, but it was him doing things that he doesn't normally do and doing them pretty well. So you know, against a very good opponent. So, 
So no, he can do them and has clearly been working on doing them and uh, I assume will continue to improve because he has done fight to fight really. Yeah, I did raise my ceiling. Um, my opinion of his ceiling. So, you know, let's talk about what it was that he did. Which is this. You know, I already gave a clue here. He went on the front foot. He willingly engaged Conceição uh, in the pocket. Um, you know, um, previously, or previously normally, Stevenson's uh, modus operandi is um, typically to take, yes, he'll take the lead of the jab, and then he'll um, throw one or two or three punches and then hop off. He doesn't want his opponents really to throw at all. And if they do, he avoids it. Like his, um, he won't engage with them. He'll disappear. And then he'll make them reset. And then he'll come back in. And he's really good at that. His timing's excellent. His movement's excellent. He's, he's really super fast. And that's what he normally does. And Conceição, by contrast, like I said in my preview, um, you know, he will take the lead if he has to, but usually he's jab, 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 right hand, and then he'll hopefully for an opponent, hope for an opponent to, to try to counter that jab, and then, and then he'll throw it, and then he'll engage in the pocket, and that's where he's good. And I was expecting, you know, I was, I was expecting Stevenson to have to be the one to take the lead if it went anywhere. Um, but Conceição surprised me early by attacking Stevenson, by really you know, going for it and taking the lead. And Conceição's not that good at that, so it gave Stevenson opportunities to counter. But, you know, it made, right from the start, a more actiony fight than uh, than we expected. And, yeah, basically, um, Conceição, he kind of overplayed his hand, really, because he's not that good going on the front foot, and he was overbalancing. He was kind of reaching with his right hand. Um, and, you know, it being a southpaw versus orthodox matchup, um, you know, he was reaching even further than he would have been normally. Um so he did leave himself open to counters, which Stevenson, you know, he's good at. Um, I said in my preview that Stevenson prefers not to be the counterpuncher in that he prefers to stop his opponent throwing, but he'll counter if it's there for him. He's quite happy to, and he's really good at it. Um, and yeah, here, Conceição gave him the option, the opportunity, and he did. And um, I think that meant from very early on, Stevenson knew he had that in his pocket, that if he just sat off, Conceição would try to come at him, especially if he built up an obvious lead, and that proved true throughout the fight. But Fairly quickly, Stevenson, and I think, you know, there may have been emotion playing into this as well. Um, Stevenson also started pushing. Like, it looked like he wanted the knockout. Um, and he started pressing the fight. He started jabbing, pushing Conceição back, and then going with um, work to the head and body. And just pushing him back and pushing the tempo a little bit. And, you know, it was never, he's never Joe Calzaghi. He's not Roman Gonzalez. He's never, he's never going to be. Um, but I will say that... Um, I was quite impressed with how he went on the front foot. Um, I saw, I did see people complaining, you know, oh, he's hittable, he's getting touched, he's getting, uh, you know, for this super amazing defensive fighter, he's getting um, hit more than he should be. So, oh well, yeah, when he's not being defensive, that's to be expected. But also, it wasn't really anything. Like, most of them didn't, I don't think, landed really. Most of what Contest had through didn't land really at all. Some to the body, um, you know, and yeah, he did take some shots at the head. But, um, but most of it was getting caught or slipped. Um, or, yeah, um, or Stevenson was just sort, sort of sliding back out of range. And uh, what wasn't, you know, it was never in danger. It was never, I mean, I, I won't say it didn't hurt because, you know, all punches hurt. But it was never anything that phased Stevenson, let alone was in danger of knocking him out. It just wasn't that kind of fight. You know, it was, Conceição had his moments, don't get me wrong. But there was never a moment when Stevenson wasn't in control of what was happening and never a moment when he was uncomfortable, where obviously Conceição was several times 
kind of fairly obviously buzzed and um and yeah he was uncomfortable throughout and the fight was this you know back and ultimately the rhythm of the fight was um the back and forth between Stevenson going on the front foot pushing Concessile back and him dropping off and letting Concessile come to him and countering him letting him fall onto shots because that was because that's what Concessile was doing was letting him fall onto shots and I was you know I, I will say that was a good thing good tactic by Stevenson because um the backing off and letting Contessal fall onto him, fall onto his shots, hurt Contessal more. But the pushing in and pressing him back, um, that took his stamina away. And there was a lot of good body work going in there as well. And um, and I will say, again, as I, I was surprised um, by how good he was at forcing Contessal into corners, forcing him to the ropes. You know, He wasn't got off kin, but, him, but it was perfectly for a guy who really never presses. It was, you know, it was good work, and um, and yeah, his defense was fine. Um, Contessal never really, never really landed. He it was, you know, a bit of guard up, a bit of pushing, pushing, and then just sliding back, making the counters uh, miss, and then push forward again. And it was just, yeah, ni- nice little tidy, tidy little bit of work. And yeah, um, the other story of the fight that it was that it was incredibly dirty, um, and Stevenson was petulant. But I will say, Contessal, you know, Contessal maybe gets a little bit more leeway because of the whole weight thing. But but I wouldn't say Stevenson was more dirty than Contessal. There was a lot of holding, there was a lot of pushing, and yes, Stevenson got that point deducted for throwing Contessal over in round nine. You know, a bit of a hip toss and just chuck him over, which he did again later on and got a final final warning for. And um, and that I think factors into the end of the fight because um, I saw people complaining that at the end of the fight Stephen um, Contessal was clearly you know there for the taking but Stevenson didn't push, didn't really engage and was just backing off and uh, and you know hitting him with the occasional shot and uh, my thinking is I don't know for sure but my thinking is that Stevenson was just being overly cautious there because obviously the hip tosses were illegal and he shouldn't have been doing them but there were frustrated reactions to what he thought was excessive holding you know I don't think it was as excessive as he thought it was but um but I think he thought that if they get to another clinch he's going to lose his shit again and okay I'll just won't do that I'll just back off which no matter how unwarranted I think his reaction was I think that's that's a good sign for him, and I think that's what was happening. I think he just didn't want to push forward again because he thought he'd get trapped in a clinch and uh, didn't want to risk a disqualification because, you know, that would be absolutely stupid. So, yeah, all in all, you know, for, for Stevenson, it was just sharp. He's such a sharp boxer. Like, I don't particularly like him. Um, in terms of, I mean, his persona is just irritating. Yeah, you know, I'm not here to judge his persona, but um, you know, he's never going to be my favourite fighter in that sense. Um, as a boxer, you know, I, you know, my favourite fighters have more. I wouldn't even say subtlety because Stevenson has subtlety, but he does things at one time. I'm going to get this into a second, but he, he does do things that sort of, you know, I'm going to say one way. That's not true because I'm just talk, I've just been talking about how he's been rounding out his game. I prefer a little more intricacy in the. Little moments, like little, you know, I prefer. It's kind of hard to nail down why I don't love him, love watching him because you know I can be entertained by watching him. Um, in any case, beside the point, the perfection of his form is insane. 
Like he is so clean with everything he does, especially at range. Obviously, once he got into the clinch, it wasn't particularly good in the clinch. That is something he really does have to work on. Like he he can't just lose his shit and throw his opponent over. He has to learn how to fight in there, especially if he is going to push sometimes. But it's on the outside, especially, and in you know in the middle in the pocket. Um, his yeah his technique is just super. And unlike some fighters whose technique is just super, um, he does have those little. You know, he doesn't isn't just stuck with doing returning back to the same point all the time. Like he's not, you know, I always talk about Anthony Joshua, but there's loads of fighters who do this, um he isn't just stuck repeating the same trick over and over again exactly the same. Um he he is a fighter who does own you know, he does a few things and he does them well, rather than having shitloads of stuff that he does. But he does very you know, vary the spacing, vary the timing. Um, I will say the pace of it. Um, and this is something Andre Ward pointed out. I had problems with the Ward's commentary throughout the fight because um, he did keep saying, oh yeah, um, Stevenson needs to keep changing up, needs to change it up, needs to change it up. And he was changing up in terms of the back and forth of pushing pushing forward, backing off that I said. But it is fair to say that Stevenson was throwing everything as fast as he could as fast and as hard as he could like everything was supposed to be kind of you know not maybe not not aiming to a knockout but um everything was at the maximum pace and that is something that stevenson has to work on and um if he can work it out he'll be an elite elite fighter um but that is a trap you can fall into thinking that because you're the fastest guy you know you're you might have the fastest hands in the sport it's possible um, that you have to throw everything as fast as you can all the time, and that's not true. That's that's the opposite of true. You shouldn't. Um, you should vary vary up the pacing, vary up the sting that you put on your shots. Um, you know, use slower shots to condition and then break through the guard. All of that stuff. Um, and I think some of that good stuff would have helped him. Possibly not Conte so out, um, which never came in the end. You know, this is the thing. Um, if you're a really fucking hard puncher, if you're Art Oberturbiev, then. Um, Hitting your opponent as hard as you can all the time um, will. It's a good way to break them down. But if you're not a top, a top TPF, um then it's a pretty good idea to have, you know, have a variation of what you're throwing them with, and not to hit everything. Not just because of the energy that it takes, but because your opponent is going to be expecting softer shots and then get clubbed with hard ones. It's something Terence Crawford. Terence Crawford is the best at doing this. Um, uh, he did it fairly deliberately. I can't, you know, I'm not going to go look up which fight it was early on. Um, but it was a very obviously deliberate uh, decision um, at one point where he would hold his punches until he decided his opponent was tired enough and then go. And he did the same against Sean Porter. Um, perhaps less sort of formally, oh, I am trying deliberately to make him think I'm not punching that hard. But it was ultimately the same effect. He was holding on for various tactical reasons. And, um, and you know, when he pushed... Porter went down and you know what I'm basically saying here is um, Stevenson I don't think Stevenson's ever going to be the finisher Crawford is like, no matter what he does but um, but he could do with a bit of that sort of thinking or even if not that sort of thinking you know a little bit of the old you know Loma Mayweather all, all the greats they vary the pacing on their shots they vary the timing and Stevenson needs some of that but his footwork's brilliant and he's getting less and less straight lined by the day you know I used to think oh he's a little bit leapy and straight lined and he jumps in and out in straight lines and to some extent you know maybe that would always be true but it's less and less true every time his balance is fantastic it's flawless he just yeah um, you know I don't know if he w- will be the best, best boxer in the world like he's being sort of hailed as the next um, the next great thing for boxing he might be he might not be but he's in that gang and um, you know compared to some of the other fighters um now, Devin Haney's your obvious comparison because they're, you know, they're both young American 
tricky defensive outboxes. But, um, you know, I've talked about Haney before having those little hitches in his form that make him hurtable. Um, and Stevenson just doesn't have any of them. Just have, doesn't have any of that. It's just the purity of, you know, it's the one thing I really can buzz about. The purity of his movement is, um, there's no one else quite like it. And this, the, the ability of the, his sense of timing and this pace he does it with, there's not, you know, there's no one else. Maybe there, there are fighters who can match it. I mean, pretty definitely there are fighters who can match it, but there's no one better. Um, but yeah, if he adds that ability to sense rhythm with an ability to break it, that will make him ridiculously good. Um, in any case, um, Conte Sal, well, Stevenson's moving up now, so um, Conte Sal should be looking for, for belts in this division again pretty soon. You'd hope so. It's a good division. Actually, of course, Stevenson was very clearly the best in it. Um, but now he's left. Oscar Valdez, you'd say, is the number one. But um, his win over Conceição was conscientious, to say the least. And then you've got um, you've got Matteo, you've got Rakimov, you've got Joe Cordina. There's you know a good bunch of guys. Um, Anthony Casas, who won at the weekend. I didn't see his points. So I won't be talking about it, but um, but he did. Um, yeah, there's a there's a good few few good guys on there. Um, um, and yeah, the, like the scrap for the belts now that Stevenson's vacated uh, should be pretty cool. And obviously, um, I believe Joe Cordina holds, well, uh, yeah, Cordina holds one and Rakimov will be fighting him for it soon. So that'll be cool. And yeah, it's just a, it's, it's a division that is suddenly pretty evenly balanced now that Stevenson's not in the picture anymore. And um, Conceição is well in that picture. Like Conceição may be the best boxer in the division. And even if he's not, he'll give any of them a run. It's a good division, and um, yeah, and we hope to see good things in it soon. Um, okay, moving on. The next fight was in England. The other two big cards of the weekend were in England on Saturday. And we're going to apologise ahead of time. Um, I had a pretty busy fucking weekend, so uh, I didn't watch all the fights live, and I didn't ca- get to catch up with the whole cards live. Um, so there were two significant women's fights, one on each card. Um, on the Joe Joyce card, you had um, Amanda Serrano winning a bunch of belts in a new division at um, Featherweight against uh, Sarah Mafood. And in, on the Maxi Hughes card uh, in Nottingham, you had uh, Hannah Rankin losing to Terry Harper, who was also stepping up to Super World to, you know, to gain a couple of belts. I just didn't get the chance to watch them. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to, in between this recording, I'm not going to get a chance, which, you know, sometimes, sometimes I do, I'm brutally honest. Sometimes I'll start recording with one fight and go watch the other fight that I haven't seen, but it's just not going to happen today. Um, so I'm not going to talk about Terry Harper and Amanda Zorana. Um, it, you know, apologies if you're interested in my thoughts on those. Um, once again, to the, you know, really iconic fights, um, I'll talk about them again and, I mean, at some point I'll watch these fights and um, so that I know where, they, where the fighters stand, but I'm not going to do the podcast on them. But in any case, let's talk about Joe Joyce. Um, I just like Joe Joyce. I've made that clear on this podcast before and uh, I'll probably make it clear again. He, um, you know, his father, Joe Parker, um, it was characterised as, you know, it wasn't a 50-50 because Joyce was and was rightly the favourite. Um, I think I'd maybe made it to be closer than some people did in the prediction, but I did think Joyce was going to win. I think some people, and I will include my my buddy Taylor, um, you know, co-fights like co-writer Taylor, 
um, Taylor O'Higgins. He you know, he made out Joyce is um, that he made out that um, Parker is shite. I wouldn't go that far. Um, Parker's pretty good. He the thing with Parker for me is that he has well a lot of the parts of a really good boxer who never quite puts them together. But um, but he's got enough there that if Joyce had fallen shy in a few ways, that he would have. Um, he could have been trouble, and um, even in the moment of the performance um, of losing, of getting pretty well beaten up, he was showing improvements in the way he does a lot of things. He showed a lot of um, well, his big weakness had always been throwing while your opponent's throwing, and if that had come true here, he would have been completely, utterly fucked up. Um, but you know, he didn't. He didn't wilt. Um, I mean, he wilted in the sense that he got beaten up and knocked out, but he didn't. Um, he didn't hide away from the challenge and he kept going but um, but the thing about Joyce right, is um, we kind of talk about him he's almost becoming a meme where you know he takes all these shots and eats them like candy and um, he can't be stopped he's really slow but he just keeps going and going and going and he's uh, you know he's a, he's a terminator he's an avalanche and all of that and all of that's true but it makes him sound completely lacking in technique and that's just not true Um is uh, attackingly he is a really good fighter he's um he's not fast but his timing is excellent his timing is just absolutely superb to be honest um consider all things considered that's why he keeps catching fighters even though he's very slow um his footwork is less slow than his hand speed that's almost fair to say and that helps but um but it's still pretty um pretty rap you know pretty not not fast um but he keeps catching fighters, he keeps beating fighters to the punch, he keeps breaking through fighters' defences, not just clumping through them, but taking the defences apart. And that's because his timing is really good. And his punch selection is really good. Like he's got a lot of things he can throw, all sorts of hooks and, you know, um, hooks and uppercuts and straights and overhands and all of that. He's got every punch in the book, you know, especially in close, but um, close and mid-range. He's got every punch he can throw, you, you can think of, and he's very good at picking when and where to throw them. His footwork, I would say, um, again, going back to Taylor, um, he mentioned that uh, he is not a good ring cutter. That's true. Um, I suspect that that is, for him, a choice, a, um, what's the word, Um, a cost-benefit thing, because I don't think he's fast enough to be the guy who... can really cut the ring off and then be correctly positioned to throw the punches, uh, the really damaging punches, um, you know, at all times. I think he's slow enough that, uh, I guess, you know, against someone like Joyce, who's pretty rapid for a heavyweight, um, against someone like Parker, who's pretty rapid for a heavyweight, I think Joyce would find find himself, if he did try to, you know, be the cutting angle, cutting angle, step across an angle, go to throw, he would be either rushing it and finding himself off balance or finding himself, um, you know, circled around and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I think there, and, um, I think he's making the choice to take the closest route to his opponent and land the punches while he can, because, um, well, two reasons. Um, firstly, he, um, you know, he knows that his opponent's 
there's no opponent he's going to face that can live with this gas tank apart from the top two in the division. Um, so if he can keep chasing them and landing and chasing them, they get away and keep chasing and landing, you know, eventually they're going to slow down and he's going to catch up to them anyway. You know, that proved true here. And I think he's very good in terms of his positioning, positioning of himself um, relative to his opponent as he steps in. He's very good at that and he's very good at breaking his opponent's stance. And, um, you know, using his size and his weight and his just his build his you know the fact that he's a big fucking tank to you know even when he's not physically pushing them he's getting into their space in a way that makes them want to you know move around him and break set positioning and all of that kind of stuff i think he's very good at that and i think that's part of his success um you know he's not just relentlessly going 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 he's constantly making them recover their stance their balance all of that stuff um and yeah i think I think he would struggle to do that and um, and cut the ring properly at the same time. Um, I think that I could be wrong. I th- it could be that he will, uh, you know, that he that I'm just making that up, and he's just not that good a ring cutter, um, you know, for no reason other than you know not being one. But uh, but I suspect that that's what's happening. Um, you know, I don't think he's making the choice. Uh, I, th- I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's unconscious. I don't think he's not knowing what's happening. I think it's just something that's part of his game because it has to be. I could be wrong about that. But in any case, yeah, we saw what, uh, you know, Joe Joyce do, what Joe Joyce does. Um, Parker was in the fight. You know, there was never a point really in the fight where he was completely out of it. But just as what happens with Joe Joyce, the more the fight went on, the less he could take the punches. And that's the thing with Joyce is... um, no single punch he throws is as big as Deontay Wilder's big right hand. Like um, his punches aren't snappy, and they're not. You know, no single punch is a complete devastator. But also, every single punch he throws is hard. Everything has heft. Like his jab is harder than a lot of people's. You know, full-on power punches, and and, uh, and it's hard to live with. And you know, it was a story in the fight that um, that Parker landed some really clean shots on him and he ate them and um his you know magnificent chin uh you know is unstoppable unbreakable and that stuff i mean firstly we saw him spunk to the amateurs um that was a long long time ago and uh you know this his chin is clearly better for whatever reason than it was then but i think it's fair to say that um you know chin is chin there is such a thing you know part of uh being a fighter yes there are some chins that are worse than others but um but it's also true that good balance helps with the chin. And um, he has also got to the stage where he rarely leans into this stuff. And I think that factors into what I was talking about, him choosing not to rush his work in, try, in order to try to cut the ring. Um, yeah, there are a couple of times when he kind of maybe leans over into a punch. But even the clean flush uppercuts, he's it's like, yeah, technically he's kind of hunching. That's why the uppercut lands. But, um, but his balance is good. He can rock with it. You know, even when his chin snaps up, he can move with a shot. Um, and, you know, when he's taking overhands and uh, hooks, he moves with the shots. So in the way that he takes a sting off them, he rolls with the shots. Um, so his defense is, you know, better than advertised in the sense that, yes, he's hittable, but he's taking the sting off them. It's going to take a lot of work for a guy to to do the work to get Joyce off balance and then hit him hard enough that he, you know, really gets rocked. Um, you know, Fury might be able to do it, Usyk. I don't think it was hard enough to do that, but he might be able to turn him enough, um, you know, to get him so tired that he falls into things. But other than that, there's no one in the division that I'd, uh, 
you know, guarantee to to be able to do that to Joyce. Like people keep talking about Wilder, and yes, you know, if he keeps eating right hands from Wilder, he would go down. But um, but I'm just not sure that Wilder would get the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, to land the really hard right hand, and he can get some power nowadays into his right hand when he's a bit squared, but he does do his best with, you know, I call it a run-up. Some people um, didn't like my wording, um, but, you know, guys, I was being glib on Twitter. I don't really mean, I don't literally mean that he has to take a 12-metre, um, you know, penalty run-up. I mean that uh, for Wilder to really devastate with the right hand, he needs space to both push off from and step into, and um, Joyce would give him neither thing if he has any say about the matter, which he would. Um, Anthony Joshua would just be a case of, yeah, that would be a case of, can Joshua's, um, Joshua would land on him for sure early and can he damage him enough to push him off within the first three rounds because if not I can't see Joshua winning that fight at this point um, you know, he might be able to he might be able to just jab and move his way to a victory but again you know against Joyce 12 rounds of just constant constant motion that's tough for Joshua um, I would love to see either one of those fights happen it would be great um yeah, Parker. The thing about Parker is, I quite like, you know, I quite like Parker. He, there are other ways where he irritates me as a fighter. I'm also a bit baffled by the link up with Tyson Fury, but, um, you know, I think Andy Lee is doing some good things with him. Um, I don't, you know, again, um, in this fight, he was never out of it, while also never really looking like winning. Um, so, you know, that will be a concern for him, but, um, but, but yeah, the main thing for me, um, as a positive for him, is that he did seem to lose, you know, in the face of, the, the biggest threat he's faced so far in this respect, um, he did seem to lose his hesitancy to throw when his opponent's throwing. Like, you can't fight Parker. You cannot fight um, Joe Joyce if you're afraid to throw while your opponent's throwing. You have to be able to do it, and Parker did. Um, Parker did it in this fight, and yeah, he landed some good clean-ass shots. Um, just wasn't enough because um, because Joyce is, Joyce is a problem. And yeah, like I say, I think Joyce... I would make Joyce personally the favourite against everyone in the division except Usyk and Fury. Um, I can't see him beating those two. Like, yeah, he could potentially just club Fury out, but, um, you know, they fought in the WBSS, and uh, for all the talk, that 12 rounds would be, you know, difficult for Usyk to keep at the pace. That's also true of Joyce if he's constantly turning to face Usyk, which he would be. And Fury just, um, you know, Fury can engage him however he wants. If he's falling off, you know, but yeah, I can't really see that happening. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't suspect Fury would fight him in the same way he did Wilder. I think Fury would make Joyce chase, and Fury is fast enough and big enough that Joyce, in this case, would never really get close. Um, other than that, yeah, I just really like watching Joyce. I really like, a, I really like that kind of performance where a fighter is slowly cranking the pressure, like pushing, pushing, pushing until his opponent starts to break. I just really like enjoying that kind of performance, and. Uh, Joyce is one of the premier exponents of that right now. Like, um, yeah, it's just really, it's a really cool thing for me to watch. I really enjoy that kind of performance. And, uh, you know, for all the jokes you make about him, um, for all the, you know, like I say, memery and all the joking and all the kind of making fun, even though everyone kind of, kind of likes him, he's just, uh, he's a good fighter, better technically than advertised. And, uh, you know, just physically, he's an imposing dude. I mean, this is the thing I talk about, you know, well, for all, yeah, again, I'm going to reverse tack a bit. You know, I can talk about all the technique and all, you know, the uh, unheralded skill and the fact that, um, you know, I kind of went, when he joined um, um, Salas, his current coach, 
um, I kind of went, you know, what, what's he going to do there? Like, um, but, but it's proven to be the right choice because he's adding even more, refining those little little things, those little timing. And Joyce is very good at timing. All of that stuff, really good. But he is a fucking tank. And I'm not talking about just his chin. That's true. He's just huge. Like, Jay Joyce is by anybody's standards, any reasonable standard, he's a massive fucking bloke. He just looks small next to Jay Joyce. Uh and, you know, so did Daniel Dubois. He's fucking massive next to Joe Joyce. I think he's taller than Joyce, but, uh, or at least, um, about the same height. He just looks, you know, he, he didn't, you know, say that was the same height, but he just looks small. Like, Dubois is a huge, broad, massive guy. He just looks small. Um, you know, it's a bit thin compared to, um, Joe Joyce. And that was true of, uh, that was true of Parker too. You know, Parker's a fucking square guy. Just looked a bit thin, looked a bit um, out muscled, which what she was. <laughs> just, 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 yeah, and then you add all that stuff I've been talking about with the technique. Um, yeah, you know, like I say, I like Jay Joyce. He's never going to be the elite elite, but um, he's also, you know, he's he's trying to get the best fights he can as quickly as he can since he turned pro, which he has had to because he's 37 now. That you know, there's no mucking about for him, um, and he has been a bit. I wouldn't even call it avoided, but um, the fights haven't fallen in his way. Um, you know, the really big ones, and this is probably the best one he's had so far. You know, I do hope he gets a title shot before he's um, before that thirty-seven catches up to him. Yeah, that's all there really is to say about that. Um, so we will now move on to the feel-good story: Maxi Hughes versus Kid Galahad. And this is one I was happy to wrong, be wrong about because. You know, I like Maxi Hughes and I've, um, you know, following him. He's a fighter who, a few years back, was basically failing every time he tried to step up to British or European level. Um, you know, and he was getting kind of, he had a bunch of losses on his record, you know, whenever he came up to that level. And then he um, moved to um, Sean O'Hagan's gym, that's um, Josh Warrington's dad. And, uh, yeah, they seem to work really well together and he seems to have got the best out of um, Maxi Hughes. Um and he's won a bunch of good fights, you know, coming up British level. But, you know, this was a big step up for him in terms of the level that he's competing. You know, Kid Callahan is a British fighter, but he has been a world level fighter. Um, you know, the fact that he got completely sparkled by um, Kike Martinez, notwithstanding, he was outboxing Martinez till then. And I do buy that he was weight drained. Um, and yeah, he went toe to toe with Warrington, who, you know, Hughes's, um, Hughes's gym mate. Um, and, uh, that was a dirty, ugly fight, and kind of had made it very ugly. But um, you know, even though I do think Warrington won, it was a really close one. And it, you know, he he is a world level fighter, and I just kind of assumed um, that uh, you know, for all the improvements Hughes has made, and all the you know, all the skills that he has now, um, and I will talk about them properly in a second. Um, I did think that um, just kind of has full tool set, and the fact that Galahad can basically do. He is an incredibly well-rounded fighter and he can basically do whatever he wants. Um, you know, there are multiple ways he can fight. He can make a fight incredibly dirty and that did happen. You know, he can really start fight down. Um, he can, but at the same time, when he fought Jasper Dickens, he threw over a thousand punches in, I think it was 11 rounds. Um, you know, it wasn't even the full distance and he threw over a thousand punches. So he can really up the volume. He can box on the front foot, the back foot, the outside, the inside. He's really good and, um, you know, I thought that Maxi Hughes would just fall a bit short um, and that if he did win, it would be through being the bigger man because Callahad responded to being knocked out by Kike Martinez by jumping two weights up to 
35 pounds to take on Maxi Hughes. Um, technically, this was for a title, but it's the IBO title, so get the fuck. Yeah. But it was a good, um, you know, a good level fight. Um, some ranking points for Galahad, I guess, um, worth taking. In any case, um, yeah, I was wrong. He didn't get outboxed, and he didn't win because of his size. He won because, uh, well, firstly, because Galahad did find the little tricky things that Maxi Hughes does. Well, tricky. Um, Partly because Galahad is a dirty fucking arsehole and got a point deducted, uh, which did turn the fight from a split draw into a into a Galahad into a Maxi Hughes win, um, and partly because it's almost like Galahad's ability to do anything worked against him, and he couldn't decide. On, it was a weird performance from him. He like he just didn't really commit to any one thing, and just yeah, it was odd. Uh, so so that was that as well. Um, kind of had just making some bad decisions but yeah he ultimately you know it was a really close fight and um you know you can't say that Hughes like, kind of walked off with it and that he got boxing lesson but he won by boxing he won by yeah being the boxing boxer um so let's talk about it let's talk about Galahad first just because he was a sort of established uh fighter and yeah Galahad he's out of the Ingle gym um so the Kelbrook gym but he's a very different fighter to Kelbrook because Brook wasn't complete at all he wasn't deep technically he just had an insanely good sense of timing because Galahad is very complete technically like I say um but what he's mostly about is you know little box of tricks Sneaking shots here and there. Um, he's good defense. He's got a good solid defense, but he, you know, he makes defensive errors, which comes into this. He leaves himself open at odd moments. Um, where if an opponent has is sharp and on point, he'll he'll catch him flush. Um, you know, he's not a defensive mastermind. He just knows what to do defensively, and sometimes just gets caught lacking, taking a shortcut to get there. If you follow um, offensively, he's very much about little changes, little rhythm, tempo shifts, um, shifts in height, he level changes constantly, he switched, switches stances constantly, constantly. Um, technically this was a southpaw versus orthodox matchup, but um, Galahad, um, Maxi Hughes is southpaw, but Galahad, you know, he is an orthodox fighter, but he goes southpaw a lot. Um, I will talk about Maxi Hughes's response to that fact in a bit, because that factored into the fight. Um, yeah, he'll go into the clinch, he'll fight in the clinch, he'll be a dirty fucker in the clinch. Um, he likes his little combinations inside and then back off. Um, again, the backing off can be a problem for him. But um, yeah, it's just a bunch of stuff. And he he fights a short, he fights as the shorter guy. He has a wide stance. He crouches down. Um, you know, lots of in and out movement, lots of changing things up, that kind of thing. He's just a you know full package fighter. Um, tends to be you know he doesn't he rarely boxes on the outside. He's inside. Um, ten, you know, in the clinch, in the pocket, that kind of stuff. Makes a huge. Um, and it's become, it's honestly a pleasure to watch this coming out of him, um, to watch the, him growing into this guy. He's 32, like, he's not a young lad. This change around has been late in his career. Um, he's a tricky, slick fighter now too. Um, he is also all about the little rhythm shifts and distance. He doesn't level change so much. He has quite a narrow stance. He's quite upright, which, um, you know, could be a concern in terms of, uh, um, being upright if you get it wrong does leave your starts more open to just falling you know to falling over if you get caught flush but um you know that didn't really become a problem in this fight uh he's yeah like i say he's southpaw and he's very busy with a jab lots of little fakes and feints and uh and all of that stuff and then he comes in you know talks in with a with his uh left hand he's not a power puncher like at all he doesn't hit hard um you know he's stung Galahad a few times like Galahad felt it but uh he was never in danger of uh you know, he, he was never going to knock him out like Kiko Martinez did 
and I do think that two weight jump did actually help his chin quite a lot here. But uh, yeah, he's just got, got he's just got this line of never being in the same place. Never, you know, he's constantly moving. Both of them are really. This was a constant, constant battle for positioning, and it was really, you know, tactically good. It was a nice little fight. It wasn't, you know, super exciting, but it was just a nice fight of two guys who were constantly fainting, constantly doing little twitches, little battling for position, trying to let things go. Um, one thing that Maxi Hughes I did like from Maxi Hughes is he decided, I think, quite early on to punish Galahad. Well, not even punish, but just dissuade Galahad from going southpaw by whenever Galahad steps up, almost whenever, it wasn't every single time, but almost whenever he got the chance when Galahad went southpaw, he'd just come hard for him. He'd go, you know, fizz in with the shots, um, run at him almost. And he did catch him pretty flush and then kind of hold on, grab on, and Galahad didn't have a chance to um, to get any counters off. So in that respect, you know, Hughes, Hughes complained about Galahad's dirty tactics and there were a lot, but he wasn't completely kidding himself because he was very clearly sort of running in with a shot and then, grabbing on to avoid the recriminations. That, that, that was one thing. And we are going to talk about the dirty tactics from Galahad in a second. Um, I mean, they were part of the story of the fight. Um, I admire the dark arts in, you know, some of these dark arts, they're kind of thing like, yeah, you know, fair play, if you can get away with it. But you have to get away with it. And uh, even though he only got one point deduction, he was getting warned a lot. But anyway, yeah, so Maxi Hughes, just this little tidy... You know, he's tidy in the mid in mid range. He's pretty tidy inside. He's got a good jab at distance. Um, you know, fairly upright fighter, but good head movement, good uh, good judgment of range, all of that kind of you know good work. Um, just a tidy, crafty. Never going to be elite. He's never going to be pound for pound. Uh, you know, they're at one three five. So, is he ever going to win a world title? Probably not. Um, I think it'd be a good challenge for some of the sub one sub sub elite for uh, guy, you know the, the world class but not super power power elite guys at that level, um, but uh, you know it's tough to say. Um, but yeah, I I like Maxi Hughes. Uh, I enjoy watching him. I know I enjoyed you know seeing him win against the fighter in Galahad, who I admire but do not particularly like. Um, and yeah, um, in this fight. Um, yeah, Galahad's tactics, I think, were about... Um, oh, I mean, Galahad's tactics were weird, and he was let down by Tom Ingle in his corner, who offered some of the worst advice. I mean, it wasn't even advice, it was just, you're doing well, you're doing brilliant, you're winning, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't high over the head. Uh, even if he was winning, it wasn't like, you know, clear, clean and clear. Uh, you know, I think uh, Ingle just saw him outboxing uh, Hughes when that just didn't happen. But um, but so far as the Galahad had a game plan, it was to jab at range and um, occasionally, you know, swing in with a pot shot with the other hand and just just constantly be moving and then breaking, trying to break uh, Hughes' posture with, let's be honest, the dirty tactics. So let's take a detour to talk about them now. Um, just sort of summarise what was going on because uh, the first thing he got wonderful was stepping on the, on the foot on Hughes's foot and that was possibly a bit harsh being warned for that because that happens all the time in South Pole versus Orthodox matchups and I don't you know hardly ever it's a warning I'm not even sure that it should because I mean yeah if someone's completely deliberately just obviously snapping on his opponent's foot then yeah sure but um and you know it being Galahad yeah he probably was but it you know it wasn't egregious I don't think and uh, you know they're both jockeying for position that kind of thing you know not hugely an issue um the, the main thing, and I think that cost him the points, was a uh, um, headbutting, leading with the head, which he did. You know, wasn't he wasn't giving Glasgow kisses out, but he was leading with the head a lot, and that was, you know, again part of trying to break um, 
Hughes's posture, um, trying to push him out, you know, in the clinch, fuck, fuck him around in the clinch, that kind of thing. He also got a stern warning for, I believe it was, um, like a, just shoving and stiff arming and pushing around and, so yeah, all of that. And, uh, one thing he didn't get a warning for, but Hughes com- um, complained about it afterwards and did show the mark on, under his, um, left arm and, uh, you know, to be honest, you could see this when I was watching the fight, because I watched the fight after I heard about this. I didn't watch the fight live. Um, I watched the fight after I heard about this. And you could see Callahan pinching Hughes th- through his glove, with his glove, pinching Hughes under his left arm, sort of down the side, behind his back. Just constantly, like every time he got his arm around, every time he's holding, it's just kind of throwing in a pinch. Um, and I mean, that kind of thing, you have to laugh. Like, it's just, you know, just being an awkward bastard and, causing you know little painful bits for the sake of it and yeah it's illegal and you know shouldn't be allowed and if they'd been caught it should be penalized but that kind of thing you know i'm just like you know if you can get away with it like i'm not you know i'm not gonna if i was a coach i wouldn't tell my boxers to do that but i'm not gonna flip my lid over seeing someone do that it's a you know it's part of the the dark side of the craft of boxing and that, that particularly you know it wasn't gonna hurt hughes like permanently it could have yeah okay if it had won the fight by cheating and then it up for you you know the kind of thing is just kind of like you kind of have to snidely admire it um but at the same time like you cheeky cheeky fucking sod in any case um yeah um he may complain that he lost the fight on a point deduction but uh he was cheating so much that quite frankly he was lucky there wasn't more let's be honest here in any case yeah that's uh the story of the fight of, of the cheating in the fight the story of the actual fight was one of Early on, Galahad was pushing Hughes back. Hughes is, you know, by nature, more of the back foot fighter, the counterpuncher. Galahad, like I say, can fight at sort of all ranges, but um, but he he was pushing the, pushing the pressure, he's pushing the tempo. He tends to go on the front foot by preference. Um, and so that's what happened. Um, Hughes was on the back foot, Galahad was in the front. They're both very busy with their jabs. Um, I think Hughes is a little more confident letting his... Uh, backhand go which is you know the converse of um what Dominic Ingle was saying which was you know he's he's uh, he's scared he he's losing confidence in his backhand he's not going to be letting it go if he keeps living it all of that stuff I don't know I don't know what he was seeing I don't know whether he was lying or whether he genuinely saw that like throughout the fight he was just living in fantasy land it was bizarre anyway in, you know I, I do think he may well have cost his fight in the fight because it's an incredibly tight fight and some of the right adjustments could well have had Galahad win in any case I think yeah a lot of the story a lot of the reason Hughes won I think is because um the jab battle was very even for me um but I do think Hughes was uh just a bit more, he used his backhand more. He used his left hand pretty confidently. Only, you know, one shot at a time, maybe two, he'd rarely throw combinations. Occasionally he'd sort of duck in, and, um, you know, change an angle and uh, and throw two or three body shots. But, uh, but it was mostly, you know, jab, 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 and then one shot and then exit or hold. Um, what he did, what he does very well, well, both of them do very well, but Callahad did, um, but Hughes did um, really nicely throughout this fight was a, uh, change the angle after the jab. So he jab, jab, change the angle, throw the left hand. Um, and Galahad found that tricky. Galahad found that tricky. And uh, I'm going to keep talking about him. Dominic Ingle never noticed. He just didn't notice that uh, what was happening. He didn't. I don't think he mentioned it once at all. No, I didn't listen into the corner fully every time. But but yeah, I'm not sure if he, he noticed that Galahad was having a problem with it, let alone, yeah, it was it was so odd. 
in any case, that was Hughes' story of the fight. And then sort of later in the fight, uh, as Galahad, you know, despite uh, the claims of flagging from 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 Domingo, uh, I think it was Galahad who started to slow just a little, and Hughes just a little bit started to push forward a bit more, hold centre rim. By no means was he pressure fighting, and Galahad was still more on the front foot than otherwise, but he was more holding the centre. And that kind of you know, also took took him over the line. I didn't score, so I can't say, you know, I can't say for definite who won, but that was the way I saw it. That, uh, towards the end of the fight, Hughes would just kind of hold the hold the space more, had a, had a little bit more control of the range, and and that helped him. And, yeah, that uh, point deduction in the 10th round came partly because um, because Ganahar's reaction to Hughes stepping into his space was to duck under his chin and then just, you know, it was use of the head. It wasn't headbutt, it was use of the head, and it was... Um, Galahad, uh, Hughes would come at him a little bit and Galahad would just, yeah, come in and like I say, he changes level, so he'd come in, crouch down low, stick his head under Galahad, under Hughes' chin, so far so okay, and then just leave it up and just stand up straight basically and force Hughes' chin right up in the air and, I mean, apart from anything else, that is bizarre to me, because if you just crouched and stayed there, there wasn't a lot that Hughes could complain about, like, if you just, if you lose a battle of positioning and your chin is, it ends up on top of the other guy's head you know, it's, referees will drop that anyway sometimes, but there's, you know, really not a lot, you know, for me, that's fine, um, you know, to a certain extent. But he's just standing up and just levering Hughes' chin from way up in the air. It was a bizarre thing to do, and he shouldn't have done it. And, uh, yeah, that, you know, ultimately that cost him the fight. Um, but I think it was a reaction to to Hughes sort of impinging on his space more than he wanted to. In any case, yeah, the fight kind of, you know, it was it was a back and forth. It was a tight fight. Um, you know, by no means did Maxi Hughes dominate him, but uh, but yeah, I think he was just winning the little victories and uh, just from what I, you know, from my glance over it, um, you know, without scoring, yeah, I think he was, you know, it was a respectable one. Like by no means was it a robbery. You know, even if I sat down and scored it round by round, if I decided Galahad would have won it, um, by no means would I would I think it's a robbery. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that. That, that would I'd come out that way um, yeah I mean it's a tidy fight if you like your little tricky technical fights go give it a look it's on zone if you've got zone. if not I'm sure you can find it um, but yeah you just give it give it a look you know it's, you're not going to be sat riveted by, for the second by second action but uh, and it's fun you know for a little technical breakdown um, you know not you don't have to be the elite of the elite to be good technically Maxi Hughes is like I say, he's never going to be a pound for pound level fighter, but he just does really nice stuff, like just constant, like those little feints, those little distance changes, just great stuff. Um, and it's the kind of stuff British boxing needs more of because there was a while when everything was really, you know, meat and potatoes, things done well, nothing subtle. And this was really, you know, these developments by Maxi Hughes showed that even late in your career, you can develop this kind of thing. Which is really nice, you know, those little angle changes. Now, this is the thing you almost never see in, in British boxing, uh, angling off the jab, like jab, jab, angle punch. Almost never see it. You should, you should see more often. It's not completely risk-free, of course, but Hughes is really good at covering himself. He's he's a good boxer defensively. He's become a really good defensive boxer, really tricky, really hard to find. I just like him, you know, 30 years old. He's making the most of it. He knows he's on, you know, the last rush of his career. Um, he's completely open after the fight. The fight that he wants is the one that makes him the most money. Um, yeah, he's 32 and he's been around, you know, he's not a uh, fresh 32. He's been around for, for a while and he's lost a lot of fights. He's been in the fights, um, you know, he's, he's battled through. Um, so he has only got a certain amount left in the tank and he wants the biggest money fights. Um, so fair play to him for that. Um, Kid Galahad, I will say, you know, I haven't seen him speak after the fight, but in the ring, you know, he just kind of went, okay, 
um, congratulations. He, he looked annoyed and disappointed and he likely didn't agree with the result. But, you know, his corner had been telling him he's winning by miles. So I can understand that. Um, yeah, he should he should be having words with the gym. He should be having words with Dominic Ingle because he was badly let down by the corner. And, uh, you know, I, w- I would say, I'm not sure if he would have won anyway, but he's capable of... I would say he's capable capable of more in the sense of I don't know if him doing other stuff would have got him to to Hughes the way Hughes is boxing, but it might have done. He's capable of of doing more in the sense that he's capable of. There are just so many things that he didn't try, and I think it's tr- fair to say that he didn't try them because he thought he was winning, because he thought that he had it in the bag, because that's what his corner was telling him. And it's you know, you can say oh, a fighter should know, but sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, you know, for a fighter in the ring, it's quite often that they don't know. You know, thinking Terence Crawford is one of the best fight controllers in the game. And okay, you know, whether he's really down to Crawford is, you know, hard to say. But he was asking, he didn't know where the fight stood. He was talking to his corner, who's up, who's up, before his last round, uh, before the knockout against Porter. And he's one of the best, you know, reading what's happening in the fighters in the game. So I don't blame Galahad for believing Ingle, for telling him he was miles ahead. Um, you know, that is fully on Ingle's head and you stupid bastard. In any case, really enjoyable win for Maxi Hughes. Just a good story. Just a good story. Like a guy um, stepping in, stepping up his game in the last few years of his career and uh, making something of it. And I do hope he gets that big money fight that he wants. Um, I don't know who it might be, but I hope he gets it. Yeah, um, for next week, there doesn't appear to be any, basically anything happening next week. So we'll see. Um, you know, I don't think there'll be a preview because it's just there's nothing that I would cover. Okay, uh, I mean, yeah, put it this way, looking at Box Rec, uh, this isn't uh, 100% uh, accurate, because I've, you know, I have noticed Box Rec sometimes don't have the little TV icon next to things that are clearly TV televised, because I watched them, um, but the only uh, the only show even listed as being televised is a Polish show um, with a guy who's 2-0 as a headliner. Like, I mean, his name's... Uh, Polski, which means Polish, so maybe he's becoming being pushed as a star for that reason. But uh, yeah, that's if that's the best pickings you can get. Like in England, uh, in Britain, there's a bunch of small hall shows. In America, a bunch of club shows. It's just not, there's just nothing happening basically this weekend. Uh, so we'll see what I talk about with next week's podcast. Clearly, no previews. Um, the week after next is um, got a few stuff going on. There's October's going to be big. Um, October's got shit that's going on. But the first of October, not so much. Just nothing happening. So I, um, yeah. I will see you next time. Um, obviously, don't forget to you know follow me at Crafty Boxing. Um, follow the fight site. Um, please do again. Uh, please do take a look at our appeal for Iggy. And if you can help, you know please consider helping and boosting. You know that that would be great. Just boosting, boosting. Um, he also did a his own podcast, Tangendrome, which I always get the name of wrong. But um, in any case, if you're interested in his perspective of what's been happening in Russia and uh, and all of that kind of stuff definitely worth a listen um so i recommend that and you know like i say any little helps for his um for his journey his attempt to get to america and you know him being proven completely right in his you know his um fleeing russia because uh exactly what he was afraid of happening is happening now so you know like i say anything helps um i'd be much appreciated other than that i'll see you next week and uh thanks for listening to the show goodbye